This afternoon, we are looking at what Scripture teaches regarding the second commandment as summarized and confessed in Lord's Day 35 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 35. What does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship him in any other manner than he has commanded in his word. May we then not make any image at all? God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity? No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught, not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of his word. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to imagine the following scene. One day, a man is at home, and he looks on the calendar in the kitchen. And the calendar reminds him that his wife's birthday is coming soon. The good thing is, he has just the gift in mind this year. But before he buys a gift, he first does some research on the internet to make sure he will buy the best quality. And he then searches the flyers to see which stores give the best deals. And then he goes to his store, eagerly buys a present, and brings it home. The night before his wife's birthday, he neatly wraps up the present. He makes sure it's all ready to go in the morning. And in the morning time, it's time for his wife to open up her brand new present. So the husband hands her the gift. And she excitedly tears the wrapping paper off a gift, and what does she find? A brand new cordless drill. It's not what she wanted. Now, what has happened in this little scene? Where did the husband go wrong? Well, he ignored his wife's birthday list, and instead of buying his wife what she wanted for her birthday, He was only thinking about what he wanted for himself instead. Maybe that's not hard to imagine. Now, I know what you're probably thinking at this point. This is a curious way to begin a sermon on the second commandment. Why do I bring up this little scene? Well, I bring it up because many people take this same approach 
to worship. They ignore how God says he wants to be worshipped, and instead, they're far more interested in worshipping God how they want to worship him. There's always a temptation to place our desires first. Beloved, the second commandment is about how we worship God, and God cares how we worship him. The first commandment is about worshiping the one true God only. The second commandment is about worshiping this one true God in the right manner. To worship God in the right manner, we must search the scriptures. And we must follow that. One main thing we want to see this afternoon is this. Worshiping God in the right manner will always be best for God's people. So I've summarized the sermon as follows. God blesses his people through right worship of him. And right worship of God requires, first of all, not making, not making an image of God in any way. And so, second of all, worshiping as God himself has taught us in his word. Now, Lord's Day 35, it explains the second commandment like this. What does God require in the second commandment? The first thing is, we are not to make an image of God in any way. God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Now, in Scripture, at times you see people trying to make an image of the Lord God. Think of 1 Kings 12, which we read. Jeroboam, he made two golden calves, one in Dan in the north and one in Bethel in the south. And we should understand that in this act... Jeroboam was not trying to create a new God. He was not trying to create a new God. It was not primarily a violation of the first commandment. Rather, Jeroboam was telling Israel, worship the Lord in this way. Serve Yahweh through these golden calves. See this when Jeroboam says to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough, the place where they had to worship the Lord. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And then he instituted feast days, much like what, what happened in, Israel, in, in Judah for the worship of Yahweh. So again, he's not trying to prevent the worship of the Lord God, but Yahweh is supposed to be represented and pictured by those golden calves. He's twisting biblical worship. Now, why is there a temptation to make a picture or an image of God? Well, there's several reasons. First, since the fall into sin, fellowship with God has been broken. Adam used to walk with God in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the day. And that's, that's now gone because of sin. And making an image of God appears us to bring us closer to God again. After all, the image is right in front of you. So that's maybe the first temptation. Second, worship of God seems easier this way. We can't see God with our eyes. And we rely on our eyesight so much. This can make worship of God difficult. 
And making an image seems to overcome that difficulty. So that's another temptation. Third, sinful humans have the desire to manipulate God. Right? Part of our sinful nature is that we don't want to submit to the all-powerful God. But when we have an image of God, suddenly we have something we can manipulate ourselves, something we can control. We've placed ourselves above God. And our sinful hearts like that. Fourth, a skilled artist might be able to make a beautiful image, something that's awe-inspiring takes our breath away. And the feelings that image creates appear to help us worship God better. After all, a person might argue, when I use that image in worship, I'm just into it more. I have more feeling. And that must be pleasing to God. But it's not. But think, for example, of the Sistine Chapel in the official residence of the Pope. The painting on that ceiling of that chapel was made by the artist Michelangelo. One of the famous scenes on that ceiling is the creation of Adam. Michael, Michelangelo painted an image of God reaching, he's as a strong old man, reaching out with his finger to touch Adam's finger to, to bring him life. It really is a masterpiece of artwork. Some people might think it inspires them to worship God more. But it's a clear violation of the second commandment, plain and simple. Love and here we should ask, why does God command us not to make any images of him? What problems come from this? Here again, we could list several. First thing is, God cannot be visibly portrayed. Any image we make is a product of our own imagination. And our imagination is going to fall far short. Any image of God cannot capture who God is. So we immediately, we we place limits on God if we were to make an image of him. We place limits on him. So that's one reason, but not only that. What will happen if we, make an, if we make an image of God in order to serve God through it? What happens is we start to worship the image rather than God himself. That's why there's a similarity between the first commandment and the second commandment. As soon as someone tries to worship God through an image, they end up worshiping the image themselves. itself. They, they break the first commandment as well. Finally, if we start to worship God through a beautiful image, we might end up worshiping the one who made the image. We might praise him instead. After all, he's accurately depicted God. So, beloved, God has given this commandment for our good. We might think it's easier to worship a God we can see, But why is it good that our God cannot be captured in any sort of image we could make? We should ask, do we really want that kind of God? Suddenly, 
when we make an image of God, suddenly we have a God who cannot really help us. Cannot help us in this broken life. Cannot help us with our sin. A God who could be captured in an image is a God who is limited. And we will never fully trust that kind of God. Instead, when we understand that we cannot possibly make an image of God, then we understand that we have a God who is greater than anything we can imagine ourselves. And that is a God we can trust. Consider the words of Ephesians 3, verse 20. There Paul writes, God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Or as the old NIV puts it, God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's our God. Think about those words. God is able to do far more than all you could even imagine or ask for. Far more. Isn't that wonderful? That's your God. That's your God who is majestic and powerful is above all. But a God who can be turned into an image is not that God. Well, that kind of God is small and limited, and he cannot help. But our God is greater. He's bigger than all of our problems. He's greater than all of our worries. He's stronger than all of our enemies. He's a God who can save us from our sins. He can save us no matter what. And he's a God who has saved us. He saved us in his son, Jesus Christ. And and scripture says some astonishing things about, about the son. Consider Colossians 1, verse 15. The son is the image of the invisible God. He's the image of the invisible God. See, we can't make an image of God. But the Son of God, he's the perfect image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. That's why we can learn a lot about our God by looking at Jesus Christ. Sometimes we are faced with the difficulty of worshiping a God we cannot see. That, that can be difficult for us. I acknowledge that. Right? It can be difficult to worship a God we can't see. Now, to overcome that difficulty, we don't make an image of God, but we look to Jesus Christ. Study what Scripture says about him. He came to this earth to reveal God perfectly to us. And through him, we we come to know our God. He shows us God's power. 
shows us his love, his perfections, his character. We see his acts of salvation. So we worship God through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of God. That brings us to our next point. So the first thing required in the second commandment is that we're not to make an image of God. But answer 96 gives the second requirement. We are not to worship God in any other manner than he has commanded us in his word. Again, let's, let us understand God's word is to direct us in worship and not our own desires. You know, often we think, or people think, we, we can think, we can worship God in whatever way we want to as long as we are sincere. That's how many people think. As long as we're sincere, it's okay. If it makes us feel closer, closer to God, let's do it. However, when we stray from God's word and let our, our ideas and desires guide us, it leads to all kinds of problems. I want you to consider the following words from Reformed theologian R. Scott Clark. He says, When Christians do not recognize and need the regulatory authority of Scripture, God's people are never free from the tyranny of good ideas. Now, I'll explain those words. What's he saying? He's saying many deviations of worship begin when someone has a good idea for worship, comes up with a good idea, something that will make worship better. But it leads to disaster. He says God's people are never free from the tyranny of good ideas. What does he mean? Well, we see that in 1 Kings 12, first of all. There you see King Jeroboam scheming away. He wants to keep Israel from going back to David's house so he ignored God's word, what it said about worship, and he counseled with his advisors rather than seeking the Lord. And he came up with his own ideas for worshiping God. First King 12 specifically points out that the appointed feasts he made were according to what he had devised in his own heart. And the people of Israel were ensnared by his good idea for worship. Now, of course, Jeroboam's heart was not sincere. He did not care about the worship of God. But deviations can happen through sincere desires, too. I'll give you a couple of examples. Some years ago, I went to a presentation from a Brazilian missionary... He showed a picture of what happened in a church somewhere in Brazil, not one of our sister churches. And in this church, some people made a replica of the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant. And then they proceeded to parade it around on stage in some kind of act of worship. Somebody thought this would be a good idea, right? The Ark of the Covenant comes from the Bible. Let's use it now in worship they fail to recognize that that sort of thing is not pleasing to God. No, it's sinful. It's not according to God's word. I'll give you one more example. Now, this one might sound a little bit extreme, but in April of 2017, an Anglican church in Worcester, 
England held a service in relation to the British Asparagus Festival. And yes, that was the Asparagus Festival. And the, the region is apparently well known for its quality asparagus. As part of the service, an Anglican minister first walk in, walked into the building. He was followed by a man holding up a, a large bunch of asparagus. And following behind him were two men. One was dressed as some kind of medieval knight. The other was dressed in a full-bodied asparagus costume. I'm not making this up. Now, I realize that's an extreme example. But it shows what can happen when we lose God's word as our guide. We'll quickly go off course. There's nothing left to guide us but our own imaginations, our own ideas, and that is dangerous. That's why people end up making replicas of the Old Testament Ark of the Covenant. That's why people are dressed in full-bodied asparagus costumes. They've lost the, regula- the, the regulatory authority of God's word. It's not guiding them. I'm not trying to slander with these examples. It just shows you what can happen. And in all of this, God is not trying to kill zeal in worship. No, may you worship God zealously. May you worship Him with all of your heart. In fact, worship Him with gusto. But may your zeal be shaped by God's Word. See, God wants to bless us in this way. How does God bless us through right worship? Consider the words of question and answer 98. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the lady. Now, images as books for the lady, that was the good idea for worship in the medieval church. They were used to teach the common people instead of God's word. But answer 98 replies, No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants his people to be taught not by means of images that cannot speak, but by the living preaching of his word. And God will bless us through the living preaching of his word. Why does the catechism call God's word living? Well, we could point to a text like 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is breathed out by God. Inspired by God. It's God's book. It contains His own ideas. It contains everything we need to know about God and, and how we are to live to please Him. And God wants His people to be taught by that word. See, if God could, took such care that over Hundreds of years, he would have different authors write down just what he wanted to say in this book. Don't you think he would want to use that book? Well, he does. Consider what Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4. And I want you to understand what's going on in this passage, 2 Timothy 4. Paul is in prison when he writes this. And he himself testifies 
that he is about to die. And the entire generation of apostles is almost gone. And soon there will be no one left on the earth who personally witnessed Jesus' ministry on earth. So a new generation of men like Timothy must now build Christ's church to a new generation without the guiding of the apostles. What a tall task for Timothy. What is needed for the church to survive? What must Timothy and other men like him do above all else? Well, the Spirit says it so clearly through Paul. Preach the word. Paul says, I charge you to do this. It's a solemn commandment that Timothy must carry out once Paul is dead and all the other apostles are dead. Timothy must preach the word. It's the most important thing for him to do. And Paul strengthens this charge by declaring it in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, Timothy, I don't want you to just do this. God wants you to do this. And he's watching. Preach the word. And he adds to it. He says, do it in light of the appearing of Jesus Christ and his judgment and the coming of his kingdom. It makes it all that much more important. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. That's how God wants his people to be taught. Why is that? Well, our reading from Timothy gives several reasons. First, Paul says, The time is coming when people will not put up with sound teaching. When having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions will turn away from listening to the truth. Beloved, God's word is truth. It must be proclaimed. It's by knowing the truth that we're set free from the, from the snares of Satan. We're set free from, from sin. Second, Paul reminds Timothy of something so important in 3 verse 15. There he says, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And that's what God does through his word for us too. He makes us wise for salvation as he works faith in our hearts, in Jesus Christ. You see, as you hear about how Christ died for your sins on the cross, as you hear about how he was raised to life for your justification and salvation, and as you believe in Jesus Christ, you gain salvation, eternal life, that's why the preaching is so important. Your sins are forgiven through Christ. You're given peace with God. And it's through this preaching of the gospel that we're brought closer to God. 
know, what are so many good ideas in worship about? They're meant to try and make us feel closer to God. But nothing brings us closer to God than the preaching of the gospel. And that's because as you believe the gospel, you are united to Christ. You become one with Him. The Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And there's no getting closer to God than that. That's who you are. Happens through the preaching, beloved. Finally, God wants us to be taught by the living preaching of his word because by it we are equipped for every good work. Paul, by the Spirit, says to Timothy, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What a blessing this is, beloved. It's through the word that you learn to live a life pleasing to God. See, you don't need to wander aimlessly in this world trying to understand how God wants you to live. God has given you his word. Through that word, we are equipped for every good work. So, beloved, may we follow God's word and how he wants us to worship him. And as we follow God's word in this, We will be blessed in so many ways. Amen.